Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Oh my goodness, you guys. The transition from what child is this to answering that question with, he's the one who's worthy of a thousand hallelujahs. Did that just like explode in your hearts a little bit? I hope it did. And if it didn't, just put it on a playlist for sometime later on today and answer the question, what child is this with, he's the one who's worthy of a thousand hallelujahs. He's come to our rescue. He is with us. That's what we celebrate during this Christmas season. Let's close in prayer. Amen. All right, maybe not. I got a few other things that I'd love to encourage you with today. Um, last Christmas Eve, uh, I asked the question, um, how many of you are real tree families and how many of you are fake tree families? So um, I, I thought I'd revisit that again this year. All right. So if you are a real tree family, would you raise your hand? All right. Look at all the people who waste over $100 every year. Every Christmas, that's on you. You'd set yourself up for that. Okay. And then raise your hand if you're wise and have a fake tree. Right on, right on. I'm just kidding. No, no real tree shame here today. Um, actually, I, my family growing up was a real tree family. And um, at some point, something happened. I think we got a, a tree that died way before Christmas came. And so we'd spent all this money on this real tree and then we were giving out gifts and like dusting dead pine needles off of the presents and being like, here you go. Nothing says, um, I love you more than dead pine needles on a box, right? And so we, uh, we shifted at some point to having a fake tree. And, and it's sort of funny because we call these real trees and they are real. And sometimes we call them living trees and that's a bit generous sometimes. I think a better term for it would be dying tree. That's what we have in our house. We have a dying tree in our house. It was living before we cut it off and moved it into our house, right? And I think that's a good picture for us because uh, you and I would probably agree that there's a big difference between the trees in this picture and the trees in that picture. There's a big difference between a tree that's been uprooted and, and still looks the part and, and is still green and will be for a little while, but we know is in the process of dying, and a tree that's planted in the ground receiving all the nutrients that it was designed to receive. And I, I wonder what picture better describes your life today. I wonder what picture better describes your relationship with God today. Uh, my fear is that far too many followers of Jesus live like this picture, like a, a, a disciple that looks the part, a disciple that, that on the outside is green, but on the inside is dying, a disciple that comes in every Sunday and, and maybe gets like a little water on Sunday and they, they start to sort of perk up again, but then, then throughout the week starts to, to die and starts to lose branches and lose needles and, and just really falls short of the life that Jesus is intending and inviting you to live. So here's what I wanna to do today. I wanna to teach you what Jesus says about becoming a kind of tree that would bear fruit, a kind of, a kind of life 
that would receive the nutrients of the kingdom of God and therefore live out of that overflow. Does that sound good? Wonderful. Turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, because Jesus is going to use an agricultural metaphor in order to talk about the spiritual life and the spiritual journey. He's not going to use a Christmas tree like I just did, but he's going to use a vineyard and grapes growing on a vine. Now, we're picking up in the middle of a conversation, so let me catch you up. The beginning of John chapter 13, Jesus was in an upper room. They rented a space to celebrate the Passover meal together. Jesus washed his disciples' feet to everybody's shock and awe. And then he told them that he was going to leave, which caused a sense of disappointment to spread among the disciples. This is one that they'd walked with for three years and and someone that they loved dearly. And he tells them he's going to leave them. So they start to show visible signs of distress. And Jesus says to his disciples, "Um, do not be troubled. And then he gives them two reasons they don't need to be troubled. Number one, he's going to prepare a home for them. And he's going to return and he's going to take them to that eternal home. And the second reason he says they don't need to be troubled is that he's going to send his spirit to make his home in the disciples, in believers. So so we said last week that, that Jesus doesn't say to us, like, just hold on until you die. And when you die, it's going to be awesome. He says, no, 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 in between that time where you come to know me and when I take you home, in that in-between time, I'm going to send my spirit to make his home in you. That's really good news, isn't it? We talked about all the ways that that changes our life last week. And right after Jesus finished saying these things, chapter 14 ends with him saying, rise, let us go from here. Uh, My translation is, boys, we're done with dinner, let's go. Okay, so they leave the upper room and they start to walk through the streets of Jerusalem. And at some point on that journey outside of the upper room, my guess is that Jesus walks by a vineyard and he stops to give the disciples one of his most poignant and memorable teachings about what it means to be one of his followers. John chapter 15, starting in verse one. Here's what he says. I am the what? True vine. Who's Jesus? Jesus is the true vine. And my father is the what? The vine dresser. So Jesus says, I'm the, I am the true vine. And um, I had to do a little bit of studying this week because I'm sort of a, a city boy and I don't know a ton about grapevines and, and vineyards and tending to a vineyard. So I used to think that the vine was the part of the uh, grapevine that grows across the trellis. It's the part that you see and the part that grapes grow on. That's not true. The vine is actually more like uh, the trunk of the grapevine. It's that thick part that usually is between like 18 and and 36 inches tall that all of the branches grow out of. Jesus says, "I'm I'm like the trunk. I'm like the trunk. And my father is the vine dresser. He's the one who cares for the grapevine. He's he's the one who makes sure that the grapevine bears as much quality fruit as it possibly can. That's the father's job. Then jump down to verse five and he adds another piece to this metaphor. He says, I'm the vine and you disciples, you Jesus followers are what? You're the, you're the, the branches. You're the, you're the part of this plant that, that bears fruit. 
I'm, I'm struck by this because I, I think that this is the place where Jesus most clearly describes what it looks like to be and become one of his disciples. And of all the metaphors he could have used, I mean, he could have taken out a coin and he could have described a relationship with God in a transactional sense, right? Like you give God a little bit and he'll give you a little bit, right? Which is the way a lot of people view religion, unfortunately, uh, he could have taken out a map and he could have said, um, the, the way to become a disciple is by seeking out the secret wisdom that is possible for you. You just have to figure out how to get it. But he didn't do that. He, he could have taken out a book and said, here's the way to discipleship. Learn as much as you can, like just fill your head with knowledge and that will get the job done. He could have had a scroll with him and said, this is what it means to be a disciple. But he didn't. What does Jesus do? He, he chooses a plant. He chooses something that's organic and alive and intimate and connected and relational because that's the way that Jesus envisions us becoming disciples. The journey of discipleship is a living journey. It's a relational journey. It's an intimate journey. It's organic, if you will. That's the way he thinks about discipleship. And as we work our way through the passage today, it's all built around this metaphor where Jesus is the vine, the Father is the vine dresser, and we are the branches. And in the midst of this beautiful picture that Jesus is going to paint, okay, He's going to tell us all the things that flow into our life because we are connected to the vine, but it all hinges on one command. Everybody say one command. It hinges on one command, and you can find that command in verse 4. Here's the command. Let's just read it together. Let's read the portion that's in sort of gold together. One, two, three. Abide in me. Jesus says, and I in you. The one command he gives is abide in me. Now, if you have your uh, John journal with you or you have your own Bible with you, I'd encourage you circle every time this word abide or dwells shows up in this passage. Just a hint, it's going to be 10 times in this, these 17 verses we're looking at today, 10 times. Do you think that's an important piece of what Jesus is saying? Come on, you guys. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, abide. And, and here it is an imperative. It's a, it's a command. Jesus is saying, you must choose to do this. You can, by the, because the spirit of God lives in you, you can choose to do this. Jesus is calling us, make your home in me, he says. Make your home, that's what that word abide, make your home in me. Jesus. So we ended chapter 14 with this um, beautiful declaration that Jesus said he's sending the spirit to abide within us. And you may walk away from that thinking that you're a passive observer. And just, um, we talked last week about being a host and you are that. You are a host for the spirit of God in your life. But here Jesus turns the tables a little bit and he says, and as you host the spirit of God, Make sure that you pursue and abide in the one whose spirit dwells within you. Now, I want to make one thing really, really clear. Um, Jesus is not saying, force your way to God. Work your way to God. 
achieve your way to God. No, no, no. The pathway for us to abide has been well-worn and it has been forged by Jesus himself. We do not need to work our way to God. God has graciously come to us. Merry Christmas, by the way. He's come to you. He's made a way. And we simply get to learn how to constantly turn our attention and affection back to him. He's already made it possible and now we just get the chance to realize it in our everyday life. We don't make it true. We experience its truth. His grace precedes our faith. His love begets our love. Amen? Amen. Now, as we make our home in him, there's some beautiful things that start to flow out of our life. Verse 4. Abide in me and I in you, Jesus says. As the branch cannot, everybody say cannot, bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Everybody say much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm struck by that because I I looked at the Greek uh, for this word nothing and it turns out it means nothing. And we would all go, well, Jesus, we can do some things, right, apart from you. It seems like a lot of people do things apart from you. And what Jesus is saying is that you can do nothing of eternal significance, nothing that aligns you with the purpose that he designed you to live out apart from him. On the opposite side of that, you have one goal in your life as a disciple. One goal. And your goal is to abide in him. And he promises This is a promise. You can bank your life on it. As you abide in him, you bear much fruit. Much fruit. If you circle every time the word abide comes up, it's it's going to be um, eight, eight times. And the word fruit shows up ten times. These are both hugely important concepts in this passage. Sorry, fruit is eight times, abide is ten. And Jesus wants us to bear fruit. Now, here's what I think a lot of us hear. Jesus wants us to tell people about Jesus so that they can also become followers of Jesus. That, that's the way we envision bearing fruit. And that's true. That, that's a part of bearing fruit, but it's only a part. That's the, part. that's the fruit that Jesus bears through you. Did you know that Jesus also wants to bear fruit in you, not just through you? He wants to bear fruit in you. That fruit might look like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. We, we have a whole list of the kind of fruit that Jesus wants to bear in us. Why is it that we so often just think of the fruit that he wants to bear through us? And I think we lose sight of he wants good for you also. He wants you to walk in the joy of becoming one of his disciples. And when we abide in Jesus, we experience abundance. That's what he's saying. You have one job. Abide. Turn to the person next to you and say, you have one job. You have one job. Abide. That's his calling. As we abide, he bears fruit. So friends, this journey is more about being than it is about doing It's more about intimacy than it is about productivity. 
It's more about believing than it is about achieving. As disciples, our primary goal is to cultivate a life where we abide in him. And as we do that, abundance starts to flow into our life. It's like a child being knit together in their mother's womb, attached with an umbilical cord, and all the nutrients that that baby needs, that child needs, flows from the mom to the baby through that cord. Jesus would say, as you abide in me, all of the kingdom nutrients that you need in order to live as a disciple and walk in joy, all of that flow from me to you as you abide in me. That's great news, isn't it? That's great news. What a beautiful invitation that's in front of us. Now, um, over the next few minutes that we have together, I want to try my best to answer three questions. Number one, what does abiding in Jesus really mean? Number two, how do we cultivate an abiding life? And number three, what's the result of abiding? Okay? Question number one, what does abiding really look like? I mean, one of the benefits of Jesus using a metaphor is we can sort of start to wrap our minds around a really complex and difficult to understand concept. One of the downsides is that we sometimes fail to break the metaphor into our real life, right? So we can talk about abiding in the vine, but none of you live in a vine, right? So what does it mean in our real everyday lives? Um, a few months ago, when we first came across this word, abide, I mentioned that most of us carry around a great picture of what it means to abide in our pockets. Uh, if you have a phone, an, uh, an iPhone or, or another um, inferior kind of smartphone, um, <laughs> you have a picture, just kidding. You have, I just offended. If you, have, if you have a real tree and <laughs> a Google phone, it's been nice knowing you, it really has. So grateful that you're here today and we hope you join us again when Jesus heals the wounds that I've created in your heart, okay? Um, you, you, have a, you have a picture in your pocket or your purse of abiding because your phone is most likely the organizing center of your life. If you're like me, you have your calendar on your phone, okay? If you're like me, you have um, bank access on your phone. You have a way to pay for things on your phone. Uh, you have a way to, you, you can even, I don't, some of you don't know this, but you can use this to communicate with people in your life. Like you, you can text people, but then there's also, you could even talk on this at times. And it's a, it's a way to interact with the people who are around you. But here's, here's the thing, unless you are intentional about this not happening, my guess is your phone is the very first thing you look at in the morning and the very last thing you look at at night. And you probably touch it in your pocket about a thousand times in between. You want a picture of what it means to abide? You abide in your phone. I, I abide in mine. And the picture Jesus is painting is what would it look like if you were as aware of my presence in your life as you are as your, of your phone in your pocket? What would that look like? What kind of life would you start to cultivate if you chose to abide in him like you do in your phone? Um, in the 17th century, there was this Parisian monk whose name was Brother Lawrence, and he wrote this little pamphlet that they turned into a book. You could read it in less than an hour, probably. It's called Practicing the Presence of God. In that book, he talks about living with your feet in two different worlds. 
One is the world that you are currently in right now and very aware of. The other is the presence of God. And he talks about doing the dishes, aware of God's presence with him, even as he scrubs dishes. You can cultivate that kind of life. You can become aware of God's presence with you in the moment-to-moment, everyday portions of your life. What does it mean to abide? Abiding is living in a state of constant communion with and attentiveness to the Spirit of God within us. That's what it means to abide. Second question, how do we make that a reality? How does that become true of us? Because it will not happen by accident. Does anybody want to say amen to that? It will not happen by accident. Let's keep reading verse six, because Jesus is going to tell us what it means or what, how to abide. There's two phrases he uses uh, throughout this teaching that give us an invitation into the how. Verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into a fire, and burned. So um, just like your Christmas tree at the end of the Christmas season... He goes like, that's, that's sort of what it looks like when you're disconnected from the vine. You start to grow dry and you start to, you start to wither, verse 7. If you abide in me and my, what? Words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As you abide in my word. As you abide in my word. Words As you, through spiritual practice and discipline, seek after the heart of God. Like for the first hearers of this teaching of Jesus, they would have said, the, the, they would have understood this as the literal words that Jesus had spoken to them that he promised the spirit of God would remind them of. For you and for me, it's wiring our life so that we spend time in the scriptures, so we get to hear his voice, so the spirit has a well from which to draw from in our lives to remind us of the words of Jesus. I would say it like this. An abiding life does not mean that you have a quiet time in the morning, but you probably cannot live an abiding life without a quiet time in the morning or the evening. It's more than that, but it's not less. It's not less. And Jesus says, how do you do it? Well, well, you allow his words to make their home in you. And part of that means that you intend on obeying what he says. You jump down to, to verse 10, and what Jesus is going to say is not just to hear his words, but to keep his words. It's, it's never just about reading scripture. It's about living it out. Or we might say it like this, obedience is essential to abiding. It's essential to abiding. You cannot abide in Jesus if you are unwilling to do the things he asked us to do. So, so to, to start to shape your life and learn how to release your anger, to offer forgiveness, to live generous, gener, generously, to embrace his sexual ethic, You cannot cultivate an intimate relationship with Jesus if you do not intend on obeying his commands. Hard stop. Some of you wonder, why don't I sense God's presence in my life? 
my guess is part of the reason is because you are unwilling to obey what he has explicitly commanded you to obey. Now, here's what I want you to, I just want you to, like, let, let me sort of turn the release valve a little bit and say, this is not about perfection. It's about intention. It's about saying, God, my desire is to honor you. My desire is to lift you high. And when I don't, which will be often, can I get an amen? Amen. We repent. We change our mind. We change our behavior. We change our lives. It's the reason that Martin Luther would say the entire life of believers is to be one of repentance. Like we never outgrow having to come home because we always find ourselves wandering just a little bit from our Father's good presence. So, it's not about perfection. If you've been imperfect, welcome to the party. So have I. So is the person sitting next to you. It's about coming home. That's what it's about. Second way we abide. Second way. Keep reading. Verse 9. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Quick time out. Did you know that Jesus loves you? in the same way that the Father loves him. Somebody should stand up and say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Like that, that is unbelievably good news. That's mind-blowing. How much does a father love his son? The father loved his son for all of eternity. The father is connected intimately to his son for all eternity. And he showers down his goodness and his favor and his grace on his father throughout, on his son throughout all of eternity. And Jesus looks at us and goes, I love you in the same way my father loves me. And then Jesus says, abide or make your home in my love. I think there's so many of us, we have an erroneous view of God. Uh, Maybe because the house that we grew up in um, wasn't shaped by the kind of love that our heavenly father has for us. And maybe maybe your dad was really harsh. Uh, Maybe your home was abusive. Maybe there's some things you grew up with that God did not intend and design you to grow up with. And so you hear about the love of the father and you go, there's no, I don't want to make my home around him. And I think Jesus wants to heal some of that today. If you're willing to hold that before him and go, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm there yet, Lord. I want to get there, but I'm not sure I'm there. You need to know this though. You need to know this, that God's intention in you abiding in him is that you would bring to your mind and your conscious awareness often how much he loves you. How much, that's not positive thinking, that's reality. He loves you. And as you start to become more aware of his love, you start to abide more in his presence because nobody wants to be around somebody that's grouchy and angry and vindictive and mean. But that's the way a lot of you view God. So, so Jesus like changes all of that in one phrase and says, no, 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 how do you make your home in me? How do you cultivate a life of conscious awareness of the presence of God with you at all times? You remind yourself often of the fact that he loves you, that he's for you, that he died for you, that there's nothing that can separate you from his love. That's true of you right now. The question is, will you shape your life around that reality? How do you become somebody who abides? Well, you... You let scripture read you, 
You let the spirit of God convict you. You say, yes, God, what you command, I, I, I will do. And then you start to remind yourself, oh, I am loved by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He has been gracious and he's good to me. I don't need to fear punishment. I don't need to hold on to guilt and shame. I don't need to live for anybody else's approval. I don't need to climb the ladder of success in order to know I'm okay. I don't have to worry about being fruitful. All I need to do is abide in the vine. Friends, Jesus doesn't love you because you are fruitful. His love produces fruit in you. In you. And so um, we walk in and we embrace. How do we become people who, who abide? Well, the, the ancient path is one of um, spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. Like things that we can do that help us cultivate an abiding life, an awareness of the presence of God within us. Um, if you go to our website, uh, you can go to efcc.org slash resources. And I would invite you to click right here on this little button uh, down, it's in the right-hand corner of this screen that says spiritual practices. There's a number of practices there. There's some that'll come out on our daily fill this week that'll help you cultivate an abiding life. Here's what you need to know. It will not happen by accident, but it can happen because the spirit of God lives in you. And as you partner with him, he will allow you to cultivate the kind of life where you abide in the presence of God. So I have a few minutes left. In those few minutes, you're going, you're, if you're looking at your outline, you're going, have we gotten to any of this yet? <laughs> yes, we've gotten to one of those things. So what I wanna do is try to answer that last question now in the next few minutes I have. And that question was, what flows from abiding in Jesus? I'm so glad you asked. Jump back to verse two with me and listen to what Jesus said. He said, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, that's a, a bit of an unfortunate translation of the Greek word. The Greek word here is the word iro, and it literally means to be lifted up. So the picture that I have in my mind is of Jesus walking along um, these vines and branches and seeing a branch on the ground. And if you go to a vineyard, you very rarely ever see branches on the ground. Why? Because the vine dresser makes sure that the branches don't grow on the ground because they don't grow well there. They grow up along a trellis. And when a branch falls down onto the ground, what do you have to do? You have to lift it up and you have to put it back in place. Um, we might, in breaking this out of the realm of metaphor, we might call this the discipline of God. When he comes into our life, because he's a good father, remember, remember, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. When he comes into our life and when we're caught in the throes of sin and he calls us forth and he lifts us up and he says, no, that's not the way to walk. I love you way too much to let you continue to grow along the ground. He lifts us up. Secondly, Jesus says, and every branch that does bear fruit. So if you're going, hey, man, the way to avoid the, the pain of being lifted up is to bear fruit. That's what I got to do. And Jesus goes, well, not so fast. Every branch that does bear fruit, he, what? Prunes that it might bear more fruit. Internal and external. This is the picture of the vine dresser walking up to a green vine and starting to <laughs> hack away at it. 
Why? Well, because the vine dresser's goal is not to grow a pretty green vine. The vine dresser's goal is to grow excellent fruit. And if the plant uses too much of its energy, this is a word for someone in here today, too much of its energy in areas that aren't directed on what the vine dresser longs for, he will come up and graciously cut it back, not so that he can take life away, but so that he can bring more fruit. And some of you are in a season where God has taken some things away that you're lamenting and you're going, why? Why, Lord, would you take that out of my life? And I think his answer is it so you would bear more fruit. More joy, more hope, more peace, more patience. Ooh, don't pray for that one. And what, what's going on? Um, I would say this, that the abundance that starts to flow into our life through abiding is the grace, because it is God's work, of painful growth. The grace of painful growth. I expect that as disciples of Jesus, we will often say to him, ouch, that helps. Lord, that felt like it was alive. And he goes, it was. That felt like it was green. It was. But it wasn't a grape. <laughs> and what I want is fruit in your life. And so I think this is about focusing us and giving us more of an attentive heart to the way that he's moving and working in us and in his world. The grace of painful growth comes through abiding. It's one of his great gifts to us. Second, the second way we experience abundance. Jump down to verse seven with me. If you abide in me, Jesus says, and my words abide in you, ask whatever. Everybody say whatever. whatever. You wish and it will be done to, for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This is the second time in this short little interaction that Jesus has with his disciples that he says to them, ask me whatever, whatever you want. Like nothing's off the table, hold nothing back. And you will see my hand at work and you will see me move. But here we see the posture of our asking is of the utmost importance. We ask as ones who are abiding. We ask as ones who are cultivating an awareness of his presence, like John leaning back on Jesus at that last supper, resting his head on Jesus's chest, hearing his breath close enough to whisper to him, close enough to hear an interaction with him that nobody else can hear. Jesus says, that's the posture. That's the posture where you can ask anything in my name and I'll do it. What's, the, what's part of the abundance of abiding? It's the power of answered prayer. The power of answered prayer. Because as we abide, our heart starts to become more aligned with him. As John would say, this is the confidence that we have towards him that we can ask anything according to his will and he hears us. He hears us. Not only that, I'm struck by the fact that Jesus would say here that this proves that you are my disciples. This validates the fact that you walk with me, that you're in an interaction with me, that you're learning from me, that your life is filled with powerful prayer. So here's my challenge to you. If you don't see God moving powerfully through your prayer, seek to cultivate greater intimacy with him. Seek, seek to abide on deeper and deeper levels. 
keep in mind, keep in mind, the Father wants you to bear much fruit. That's his desire for you, in you and through you. So draw close to his heart, because the fruit we bear is born in prayer. It's born in prayer. Third, let's keep reading, verse 13, or uh, sorry, 11. Jesus says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be, what? Full. I love this passage of scripture. I love it because it starts to retrain our mind and our heart to realize that God is the most joyful being in the entire universe and that he longs to pour that joy into our life. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and that you may have it to the full. And one of the fruits of abiding in him, the abundance that we get as we abide in him is we receive the gift, and it is that, of divine joy, the gift of divine joy. And some of you believe that God is either angry with you or just angry in general, and that his commandments are designed to suck all the life out of you. You view them as burdensome. Like for some of you, I talked about being obedient to Jesus, and there was something in you that went, bummer, bummer. And I would invite you to repent of that. It's completely untrue. And you don't want to base your life on something untrue. There is nobody who's ever walked the face of the earth that was more happy than Jesus. More joy-filled than Jesus. Funnier than Jesus. More people wanted to be around him. People flocked to him. The reason he said to people, don't tell anybody about that miracle is because he wanted to have a moment where he could catch his breath. Otherwise, people were packed around him at every turn. People don't want to be around somebody who's dour and depressed. Kids don't flock to people who are upset and angry. And Jesus had kids flocking to him all the time. As you cultivate an awareness of God's presence in your life, as you abide in him, his joy starts to pour into your life. That word joy in the Greek is the word kara. Will you say that with me? And it quite, two of you said it, fine. That's fine with me. And, and you could translate it almost quite literally as a, a surprising grace or surprising favor or goodness that sort of comes out of nowhere. And Jesus says, as you make your home in me, my goodness, my favor, my grace starts to make its home in you in a way that fills you and you go, there's nothing better. There's nothing. So, so here, here's the deal, you guys. If you're not at the place in your relationship with Jesus where you would say there's nothing better, I would say there's something more. Let me say that again. If you're not at the place in your relationship with Jesus when you would, where you would say there's nothing better, I think Jesus would say to you, there's something more. There's something more. And verse 12, the fourth thing. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Raise your hand if that's familiar. Okay, good. It, we, Jesus already said it in chapter 13, verse 34. Same thing. Greater love has no one than this that he laid out in his life for his friends. You are my friends. <laughs> You're a friend. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. Anybody? Yeah, praise the Lord. You are my friends if you do what I command. That makes sense, doesn't it? 
No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. So a friend of God is somebody who does what God commands and who knows God's agenda. That's what it means to be God's friend. God, I love you. I intend on obeying you imperfectly, but I intend to. And I know what you're up to. You're, you're up to the glory of your name. You're up to the gospel going out. What, what you're up to is more and more people coming to, to know you and experience your joy. You're, what you're up to is bearing fruit in me. God, I know what you're up to. I'm your friend. Praise be to God. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. There it is a third time, just in case you missed it. The first two, for those in the back, whatever. These things I have commanded you so that you love one another. Greater love has no one than this, Jesus said, that he would lay down his life for his friends. You want a biblical definition of love? That's a biblical definition of love. Someone who's willing to lay down their life for you. To, to leverage their life for your good. And Jesus says, if you, if you want to see it in full display, just look at me. But, but, he intends for us, as we abide in him, to offer that same kind of love to each other. Did you catch that? You abide in his love, you make your home in his love, and then you love each other just as he loved you. See, see, the best thing that you can do for the Christian community that you long to be a part of is learn how to abide in his love because that kind of love will then be the thing that flows from your life. See, the abundance of abiding, part of that is found in the delight of loving community. Not perfect community. We're gonna need to say we're sorry to each other. Amen? We're gonna need to forgive each other. We're gonna need to grow together. We're gonna need to bear with one another. We're gonna need how to learn, learn how to minimize our preferences for the greater good. We're, we're gonna need to do all of that. Imperfect, yes, but loving. That's Jesus's invitation. You know, at the beginning of the year uh, in 2024, we're gonna have an invitation that's fresh to join a life group and to say, gosh, I wanna find my people. I, I wanna find people that I can really walk through life with and, and by God's grace in all of our lives, create this kind of community. And I hope, I hope that as you sort of take this and dwell on it, that that would be something that God would stir in you. But I also hope that you're struck today by this invitation that Jesus holds out to all of us. You guys, it's so good. My, my words fail to communicate how good it is, but I hope that the spirit of God enlivens something in you where you say, gosh, I, I long to learn more and more how to abide in Jesus who loves me and gave himself for me. I long to learn how to better make my home in him, to develop a conscious awareness and attentiveness to his spirit that lives within me. And, and, and I hope that you will do that because there's some beautiful things that flow, the grace of painful growth, the power of answered prayer, the gift of divine joy, the delight of loving community. It's all a part of what Jesus has on offer to you. If you would simply say, I wanna learn how to abide in him. And see the beauty of this Advent season 
as we've been celebrating it over the last few weeks, we started out with this God who says, I have come to make a home for you, an abode for you, where I will take you to be with me. And we say amen to that. And then he says, oh, but, but, but before I take you there, I'm gonna make my home in you. I'm gonna abide in you by the power of my spirit. And today he says, will you, will you make your home in me? See, Jesus came to dwell with us so that we could make our home in him. He came to dwell with us so that we could make our home in him. So let me end by asking you the same question we started with. Which picture best describes your life? Is it one of nutrient-rich, living, vibrant, alive? Or is it one that looks the part, at least in part and for a time, but is really disconnected and in the process of withering? See, Jesus longs for you to be full of fruit. He longs for you to receive the kingdom nutrients into your life and that happens as you abide in him. So we're gonna sing one last song, but I wanna give you just a moment, just you and God, to try to answer this question, which, which best describes me? And then maybe to say, Holy Spirit, would you even right now, just speak a word to me of what it would look like to take one step forward with you. Let's take some time and just seek his face. Just try to hear his heart. Maybe you start by abiding in his love. Make your home there. you're sensing any sort of guilt or shame about not abiding, I would just try to name that as something the enemy would love to use to distract you. It's probably not from Jesus. And just recenter on his love. Remind yourself of his goodness, his grace. Lord, we thank you for this glorious invitation to abide in you, to make our home in you, and then to trust you with everything else. Oh, so good, so good. So Lord, teach us more and more what that looks like. If there's ways that we're resistant or doubt we have in our heart that there's more that you're inviting us to. Uh, Spirit of God, I pray that you would be our teacher. Would you move and work, please? We long to abide in you and we trust that you will bear much fruit in us and through us as we do. Thank you for coming. Thank you for arriving. Thank you for the incarnation, for making your home, your dwelling among us so that we could find a home in you. We love you.
Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.